I'm Steve Duffy, and welcome to Raw Sportscast. Stuff with Duff. My guest today is Bill O'Kell, local motorsports enthusiast, race car driver, if you will. And uh, Bill, a uh, big weekend coming up. You're going down to Indianapolis Motor Speedway. That is true. We leave about a week from now, so um, counting down the night, Steve. Mm-hmm. Well, six nights. <laughs> yeah, six days. You know, it's funny coming to do this interview. I was thinking racing in Apples Motor Speedway. I drive in here to Galaxy and I see three cars in a dumpster here and they don't look that bad. And it kind of reminds me of what wrecks look like at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So it's a good reminder not what to do. Bill, I'm one of these guys who goes to car racing to watch the car racing. A lot of people go to hockey games to watch the fights. Yeah. A lot of people go to car races to watch the crashes. I like the racing for the racing sakes. Uh, yourself, have you ever been involved in a bad crash that really... Yeah, uh, yeah. I yeah, you know, after doing this for 47 years, I have to think pretty hard on that, Steve. And and thankfully, I have not, <laughs> I, I've not had a serious crash. And it's nothing I'm definitely not looking forward to, that's for sure. And it's, it's been great. The, the, the ones I've had have been uh, minor ones and uh, being able to walk away and uh, the damage hasn't been that bad. So I tend to err more on the caution in my driving and it's worked to my benefit here. I've been watching this program on Netflix. It's called, uh, it was a Michael Schumacher yes. documentary. And it hit me, these guys go horridly fast. And if they have a mishap, it can be fatal. Now, you have to check every single piece of machinery and everything on that car to make sure everything is not worn down or could break or cause an accident, right? Correct. It, th- there's a lot of preparation that goes into race car stuff, especially when you're driving cars that were built maybe 10 or 15 years ago. And, and originally there were cars that were produced in the 1960s or seventies. So you're extra special in your cautionary and also in your preparation too, because these parts wear out and we have to change them a lot more frequently than, uh, than, than a car that's just built brand new. Now you drive an MGB, don't you? It's uh, what year is that? Well, that, you know, that started out life as a 1964 MGB, and I got it in 1973. The car I'll be racing in Annapolis Motor Speedway was built in 2014 by the Tennessee Race Shop. It started out life as a 19, I think it's a 1970 MG midget, but it was brand new and, and fabricated and put together in 2014. Now, you rely on a lot of sponsorships. You look at your race car and there are sponsorship names all over the place. Uh, including my next door neighbor, Dan and Pamela, who used to own Victoria yes, Plating. Victoria Plating. Um, they are key, aren't they, to operating a motor vehicle and a race car? I'll, I'll, one of the key things that really helps and assists our program here is our partners. And some are financial, some are product, some are service. Everything from United Rentals to Castro Motor Oil to Victoria Plating to East Penn Canada. We have some nationals and some regionals and some locals, Victoria Mobile Radio. We also have Prestone uh, and Autolite. So all of those folks help us out. And it's interesting how the blend works together, how it it is sometimes financial and sometimes product. And then from that product, we either use that product or put it in our own cars or end up selling it. I got to ask you, Bill, in this time of COVID, how does a guy go to the States and back with all this quarantining business and passports and whatnot, how do you uh, deal with that? I think the biggest question I get asked, Steve, is how the heck do you get your car across? Well, well, the benefit here is 
is I have two cars. The MGB stays in Canada right now. The MG Midget that we're ra- racing, that one is housed and garaged in San Francisco. So that car moves back and forth across the U.S. quite quite easily. So not a problem from that perspective because I really can't get a car across the border without a lot and a lot of technical work. For me, getting across, it's not that bad. It's just taking the airline flight and, and obviously because I'm double vaccinated and I do my COVID test, then, and the trick is finding a, a location that I can get a COVID test down south and get that so I can fly back. So it's, you know, it's not that bad now, but boy, in the beginning, it takes a little bit to to go back and forth. You mentioned that you got a car based in San Francisco that stored there, I guess, uh, I was there. That must cost a fortune. Yeah, Hofker Engineering has been very good with me, and I've been racing with them since 2014 when we started the U.S. Majors Tour, and I would rent the cars for $4,000 a weekend, and they came to me a number of weeks ago, or a number of years ago, and said, you know, Bill, we're going to be very fair with you because you've been faithful to us. We're going to provide an opportunity for you to own that car, so though, though rent purchase goes towards the cost of the car, which means after six races, you own the car outright. And that's what we've gone and done, though. So it's worked out extremely well. So now I'm the proud owner of a, a 1992 Black Huffker MG Midget that will race for the national championship, and it's now owned by me. But you're right, the, the, the deal changes now because once it's housed down there, then I'll have to pay a garage fee per month and we're just starting on that right now so it'll stay down there but my my desire is once things loosen up steve is to get the car and bring it back here we've got some races and some car shows we don't want to do next year so that'll be on the menu to have that done because a lot of people have been asking about that and we we have not brought any of the huffker cars up here since i started back in 2014 seven years ago so it'll be great to to bring that car up a lot of people take that for granted though the car show circuit i saw you last week at the Oat bay car show and people were flocking around you like uh, wasps to honey. It was just incredible. Yeah. Ken Agat is a great guy, and he puts on the Oak Bay Car Show. It gives me a prime spot. And because it's a special collector car show, it is an opportunity to showcase what we have here. Also an opportunity to, to get out and meet and greet people. There's been a fair amount of media coverage lately, so it was nice to talk to them about being able to go to Indianapolis coming up in a week or so, and also to get to sign autograph pictures. And it's always been a popular venue for me since I grew up in Oak Bay to see a lot of friends and, 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 and associates and people that live in the area that know me. And Oak Bay has always been a good car show for me to go to that it, uh, it draws a lot of folks from around the area. And Hey, I get to see a lot of old Oak Bay high school students too, that still live in the area. It's pretty neat. Now explain to me the, how Indianapolis works. It's not the oval that's famous, the brickyard. It's a track that's adjacent to it that has a road course, is it not? Yeah. It, you know, we, it's called, there are two tracks here. It's the, the Indianapolis 500, which is proper. Then the road course is called the, the Brickyard Road Course. And uh, the oval, which has four turns, two and a half miles. The road course inside of the oval is 2.36 miles long, shorter than the actual oval, and has 14 turns instead mm. of four. So the... Uh, IndyCar guys, they run that twice a year. NASCAR ran it once this year. So it's becoming more and more popular. It is a, a great course to run on, extremely flat, not too dangerous. There's not too many walls around there. It's kind of like when you're when you drive off the circuit there, it's kind of like driving through your front lawn of your, your house. It's not that bad. It's very flat, and you don't normally do a bunch of damage there. A few years ago I was working, when I was working at CFAX, I think I said to you on the air, 
Watch out for that corkscrew. You were yeah. going down to the Laguna Seco, or the, I guess it's yeah. called Mazda Raceway now. Yeah. Uh, the corkscrew is quite a curve. You enter it doing a left down and a right out yeah. at the bottom. And uh, yeah. thank you for the t-shirt, by the way, home of the corkscrew. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that is a quite a quite a course, isn't it? The Mazda Raceway, or Laguna Seca, as it's formerly called, is owned by the town of Monterey and the county there. And and they did a lot of work to build that circuit way back in the 50s. And, and that marquee track with that marquee corner is well known because of that left-right configuration. And, and, of course, it's also known for some spectacular passes there. Where Alex and Artie did a pass in the grass on that for a win in the IndyCar a number of years ago. But it's one of those tracks, Steve, that... People have tried to duplicate the corkscrew, but they've never really done that. Yeah. And it, it's such a unique place, and it's such a, ne- a unique photo opportunity for people. And also, you're right, it's a high-speed corner. where you enter well over 100 miles an hour, and you've got to drop two gears, and it's a quick left-right configuration. And because it drops so fast, you, you really don't see... Uh, the, the the track all that well so a lot of it's just done by feel until you come out of it then you know okay i'm pointing in the right direction <laughs> when you enter that course crew, do you lose a sense of gravity yeah there there's a small sensor right there once you drop vertically it's just like you're in a uh the zipper ride at the senate's fair where it drops and you, you feel your stomach kind of lift for about uh, about a second and a half now you run under the auspices of the scca the sports car club of america do correct. you not that's correct and uh, are there races in Canada? The Sports Car Club, of, the Sports Car Club of America, does not run any more any races. They used to. They used to. The odd time they come to Mosport, the odd time they come to Westwood, but they have not done that. Primarily because they've kept so much doing so well for themselves down in the U.S. that they haven't needed those extra venues to facilitate their revenue and their income on that. So they've really kept to that. And being that they reorganized their national championship series back in 2013 and introduced the Sports Club of America's U.S. Majors Tour, then that really solidified that they're staying in the States solely and specifically. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned uh, that track in Coquitlam. Westwood. Yeah. I, my dad and I, when I was a kid, we used to go there to watch the car races. Yeah. Now it's a housing development. Yeah. Uh, it's a sad thing when tracks go bye-bye. But I guess it's a, when I get, once again, it's a dollars and cents thing, isn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, we can't fault the Sports Car Club of BC when they initially got involved. And it's like a lot of clubs. They don't have any money to buy the facility, but they have enough money to lease that. And that was the deal back there. They leased it off the provincial government. And, and our provincial government was very fair to do that. But as the housing began to encroach in, they began to warn us back in the late 80s and saying, look, guys, after 25, 30 years, we have to let you know the housing is encroaching up towards where the track is. And there's a good possibility that, that we may want to acquire that, unless you want to buy the property. And if you can't, then, then we may want it back. Out of and, real estate. And, and the leases got shorter, one 25 years down to 15, down to 10 and 5. Then we went year to year until... And, and let's face it, we had a warning, Steve, but like many opportunities, you have enough money to run a racetrack. You just don't have the money to purchase it. And that's what we didn't have. I remember going down to Laguna Seca with my friends on my motorcycle. Yeah. We went down there for the world superbike races. And first place they say, we got to go to the corkscrew. Yeah. And that's a crazy turn for a motorcycle as yeah. well as a car. Uh, the straight stretch in front is huge. It's long, but it has a rise before you hit the hairpin. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting because part of you hits this rise. It's almost like you feel like you're going to fall off your tabletop here before you do a left-right configuration. So it, 
it also adds to the mystique and the ability and also um, I, I guess really the the setup for that corner because you're right you're you're ripping up the 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 riser. I mean, in a short period of time, we run almost well. well we 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 incline almost about uh, ten stories there in a very short period of time, and then you're on top this tabletop, and you got to hit the brakes and make sure you don't lock the brakes up and head into the gravel trap. So the, there's a lot of busyness with your driving mm-hmm. going on in that configuration. What speeds does your race car achieve? Uh, you know, the, the highest speeds we've got, either the, either the MGB or the MG Midget, we got at U.S. Auto Club Speedway down in Fontana. We're up about 125 miles per hour. That's freaky fast. Yeah, it is. And you go on a high-backed oval, which we are down at U.S. Auto Club, and, and the car really clamps to the ground. So the, even though there's a large sense of speed, it's also a sense of comfort knowing that either Michael or Hufker's car, we have a good aerodynamic package that allows us to suck down to the ground. So there's not much of a chance of getting in trouble. You're just carrying speed around that high oval until you head into the first corner there. Now, you have a history of winning with these... On the circuit, don't you? And uh, it's nice to see that a kid from Victoria winning races in the United States. Yeah. Uh, but you have a history of winning. The I think the key thing for me, Steve, was back in 2014 when the Molson Indy and the Edmonton Indies were winding down. I'm thinking, what's my next opportunity? And, you know, I, I was in my, my mid, mid-50s at that point, and I thought, you know, the, the Sports Car Club of America has revamped their U.S. National Circuit. It's now called the U.S. Majors Tour. And I thought, you know, I'd, I'd like to try and race for a national championship. And Laguna Seca, Laguna Seca was on the menu for the 2014 national championship. The other thing that the SCCA did, which was very fair with us, is we used to run specifically, it was an East Coast championship. Every year you go to Road Atlanta, Mid-Ohio, Road America. And the Sports Car Club of America said, let's change that around and rotate that. So every third year we'll come to the West Coast. And the first year they did that was Laguna Seca. So I said, I'm in. So that's where I teamed up with Hufker. They provided the opportunity in the cars for me. And we went there. And in the first year there, I didn't win any U.S. Majors Tour races. Finished 10th at that national championship. Continued on with them. And... For, for the last six years, uh, I've been able to win two, uh, sorry, uh, uh, five other, six, sorry, excuse me, six U.S. Majors Tour races and won the Western Conference Championship in 2017, the same year we went to Indianapolis. So it's been great, uh, a good opportunity, and, and kudos to the SCCA for what they've done in revamping that national series. We've also had uh, gone to a total of uh, three national championships, Laguna Seca, Sears Point, and Indianapolis. Uh, best finish was at Sears Point in 2018. We got a fifth place there after starting 15th and also won the Sunoco Hard Charger Award. So we carry momentum from that race into this uh, this week's coming up Indianapolis Motor Speedway race. We didn't do too bad in 2017 when we went there, ran two races, uh, uh, finished 22nd and 12th in the two respective races. So uh, not bad, but... It, a huge field, Steve. I mean, yeah. when we ran at Sonoma, we had 25-car fields. When we go to Indianapolis next week, it'll be a 45- to 50-car field. So the, the goal is really going to be to try and qualify in the top 10 because if you can get in the top 10, you're at reaching distance between a podium shot from there. Now, when you say 40-plus cars, that's a lot. Yeah. Uh, is there crowd crowded track means the propensity for mishaps? <laughs> Yeah, that goes with the territory, unfortunately. But, you know, after doing this the last 45 years, uh, I get to go into this with more of a sense of 
what can happen, what could happen, and how do I prepare for it? So there's a fair amount of rhythm, a fair amount of planning goes out into the first couple of turns off, off that green flag, positioning yourself where you want to be in case problems show up. And, and historically, I've had a pretty good chance, sorry, have, a, have had a pretty good history of getting through the problems and moving on from there. That's a, like, for example, at Sears Point, same thing happened there. Started 15th and finished 5th. Um, I'd like to start in the top 10 at Indy and then grow from there. Mm. So hopefully I will continue to move as I've done historically in these national championships and move up to the field as the race goes on. It's a long race. It's 19 laps or 40 minutes. So it gets pretty tiring once you start making all those 14 turns per lap, a two-minute lap. You can do the math. You're, you're switching gears and braking a lot during that time. Now, people say motor, motor car drivers or race car drivers are not athletes. I disagree wholly yeah. because you can lose a lot of weight in the course of a race, can't you? Yes, Usually I'll lose between four to five pounds, something like that. But I do a lot of workout. I've been in the gym now for over 30 years now, and I have a lot of upper body workup. So that really helps me out with that. Mm -hmm. But it's just that conditioning, Steve. It helps when you get into that race where some people you see after the race are extremely tired. Um, I, I'm not that tired at all, which is good. So it's a conditioning that helps out. Plus, Hofker's been very good at setting up a balanced car, which means I'm not having to muscle that thing around very much. I can really finesse that thing around. So it's not like you're really... Uh, muscling a 3,800-pound car around on, on, on sharp corners. The car only weighs 1,500 pounds, and they have it balanced pretty well. So it's, it's, it's a good uh, opportunity to drive a car that doesn't beat me up too much. That leads me to my next question, Bill. When you go to the States, do you have a crew there, or do you take a crew with you? And how big is it? Yes and no. For this race here, the, the crew leaves on Tuesday from San Francisco. They're taking six other cars with them. So that team and organization will head there with everybody. So essentially at this point, I'm just going down by myself, and then I'll meet the team and the crew down there, and we'll get set up uh, next Saturday. And once again, you got to make sure every part is sound. No braking, nothing's worn. Yeah. Everything, it's it's hard, it's tough. I've talked to Joe Carr, who's our crew chief here, and I've talked to him on the phone every two or three days, and he's given me a report of all the things that they're, they're moving through to make sure that everything's okay. And it's like a checklist we have. So there's a no, number of changes we're making to the car, but gosh, the last two, the races we run, Steve, we've taken a first two seconds and a third between Buttonrillo near Bakersfield, and then again in Denver about uh, four weeks ago. And and we ran flawlessly. We, we made all the sessions made all the laps everything worked fine so we go into this with momentum knowing we've got a car that's not only fast but it's also extremely reliable now when you go down to the states uh these tracks they're pretty big tracks aren't they yeah that's the interesting thing about u.s born tracks because they're all between two to three miles long and they're 14 14 to 15 to 16 17 quarters so they're long tracks they're memory tracks so you've really got to keep your head about you because you, you know when you're you're on a track that long with that many corners and especially if if it's foreign to you then you really got to memorize things very very quickly when we went to denver never been to high plains raceway we went there four weeks ago and it was able to to get in with a guy that had a Subaru that was racing on Friday. He let me sit in the pasture seat and we did about a half an hour laps and that was really all I needed. But again, another two and a half mile track it had 14 turns. So I had to quickly memorize that because once we got in the racing on Saturday and Sunday, we didn't have a lot of time to do very well. And then we finished, we got a second and a first there. So it worked out very good. Famous scene in the movie rush with uh, Chris Hemsworth playing James Hunt. 
and his fight with Nikki Lauda. Yes. Uh, there's a scene there where he's lying in bed mentally picturing the track and the turns and yeah. the gears he has to go through. Do you do that? Uh, to a certain extent, sometimes I do do that. I spend a lot of time watching videos. Look, I don't have all the money in the world that I can buy a $20,000 setup and rig and, and do my virtual stuff at home here. So a lot of it I have to do through the internet and, and watching people. But for me, the last couple of months has been really going through my mind and what I did with Indy and, and back in 2017. And that has helped out tremendously. Plus, I got a video from Brian Lynn, and he was a national champion in 2016. I got his video from Indy, his in-car video, and that just kind of reacclimatized. So there's a number of things I can do that helps me get me set up towards what I want to do and how I want to do this. And, and I go there knowing that, look, within the first two or three laps, I'm back into the groove. I know where my brake markers are. Everything's fine. And then we're, we're going from there. The, the nice ability that, that at least I can say I've been a quick learner at all the tracks I've gone to. So after a very short period of time, there, there's no sense of unknown. I, I'm right back into my rhythm and we're starting to shorten up in the brake marks and, and uh, quicken up in my acceleration points and back to, you know, at fairly quick times at a, at a fairly quick rate. Bill, what's the toughest track you raced? <clears throat> oh, boy. Laguna? Uh, that is a very good question, Steve. You know, I have not enjoyed Thunder Hill Raceway Park, which is near Sacramento. Sacramento, A lot of inclines. So I would say that's probably one of the toughest. It's a narrower track, and it's a good... Yeah. The, the, we, we, there are two tracks they join, and they make a five-mile track there with over 35 turns. And I remember doing that as a U.S. Majors race, and I think I, I don't think I, I don't think I finished in the top three. So that was one of those places where a five-mile track and that many turns, you can get lost pretty fast. And it was a wet day too, so a track like that, not my favorite. The opening scene of that Michael Schumacher documentary I watched. He was, uh, there was a camera mounted in the car looking yes. for racing in Monte Carlo. Yeah. And that track looked desperately skinny. Yeah. yeah. One false move and you're in the wall. The faster you go, the skinnier the track is, right? And High Plains Raceway at Denver, there was much like that too. So it was one of those tracks we call it's a rhythm track. It's also a memory track too. And it's also a narrow track. So because of that, Steve, the, one of the key things there is you better find your way around that place fast because it, it being so narrow, then uh, you, would, you don't want to be running off of there at all at, at any pace at all. The nice thing about that place was here we are in the middle of summer, so they haven't had any water there. So the track's pretty dry. And if you get off that place, you're, you're not going to hit a wall or anything. Yeah. You're just going to slide in the tall grass. So we never did get off, which was great. So it worked out fine for us. Now, most car racers start out in carts. Do you? Did you? No, I never did. No, my my avenue really was was uh, I had a Volkswagen Beetle, and then I started with believe it or not with my MGB back in nineteen seventy three. So that was really the first car I had, and I just stayed with it. You raced a Volkswagen Beetle. Sorry to admit that, but yes. <laughs> You're braver than I thought. And I've known you for 40 odd years. So, uh, Bill, I really appreciate you coming on today. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we go? Uh, look, I'm just thankful and grateful for this opportunity. You know, I, 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 each day I kind of thank God for the opportunity to be even do this. And, and, and then there's my wife that's been great to, to support me and friends like yourself and in the media that have come along that, that come alongside with me too. We're all getting older. We're all getting to an age where, you know, somewhere along the way, retirement is going to show up. But in the meantime, I get, to, I, hear you. <laughs> I get to enjoy what I'm doing here. And, and it, it's like, the last thing I'll say is when I go and see my doctor, he says, all right, 
In order for me to okay your license, I needed to know how many crashes you had, how many mischiefs did you have, how many transmissions, how many run. And when I say we had none, I said, okay, we're going to go another year. So there's a, a, there's a large support group of people behind me that helped me out. It's great having those folks. And, uh, hey, I look towards racing in the future, man. Appreciate it. And thank you. Bill, thank you for coming on today. I've known you for a long time. Yeah. We're all growing old together, yeah. uh, but uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you professionally, yeah. if you want to call this professional. I'm sure. getting paid for this. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it has been fun dealing with you through the media, through my yeah. years at the radio, in the radio business in yeah. this town. And uh, again, thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks for your support, Steve. I really appreciate that.